Hey, if you got your Bible this morning, would you meet me in 1 Samuel chapter 16? 1 Samuel 16. I am so excited to get to share with you today because between today and next Sunday, we're going to do a little two-part mini-series, and I want to bring a very simple message to you that's called From Anointing to Appointing. From Anointing to appointing. And I want to look at a few seasons in the life of David that we can learn a few lessons from. If you want to put a subtitle or a subtopic underneath that title, you can call it Lessons Learned from the Life of David. Today we're just going to focus in on a couple of things and next week cover even more grounds. But I want to give you a little bit of background. If you don't, if you have not read the book of 1 Samuel, can I just encourage you? I've been in 1 Samuel for like the last few weeks and is like become one of my favorite books over time because the book of 1 Samuel, there are so many rich truths and things that we can apply to our lives. But not only that, what we see in 1 Samuel is there are so many key figures in the Old Testament that appear all in one book. So I want to take some time and I want to give you some context and some background for where it is that we're going to go today, okay? At the beginning of 1 Samuel, we see that Samuel the prophet is anointed by God and becomes the prophet over a nation. But then we also see that the first king of Israel, a man named Saul, becomes king, and he's the first king chosen by God. And the reason that this happened was because the people of Israel, they began to cry out to God, and they began to say, we no longer want to be a theocracy, theo or theos meaning God, a government ruled by God. We want to be like the other nations of the world where we have a man on the throne, a man that we can see with our own two eyes, a man that we can point to and look to for leadership, who can bring wisdom into our nation, a man who can tell us what our next moves are and oversee our nation. We don't want to trust in a God that we can't see with our own eyes. We want to put our faith in a leader or a man as king over our nation. That's literally what the people of God were saying in those days. And so God said, okay, fine. If that's what you want, have it your way. I'll give you a man to be king, but let me just tell you, men make mistakes. Sometimes men get it wrong. Sometimes men lack, all the ladies are like, sometimes men lack wisdom, and it's true. But God essentially looked down at them and said, okay, I'll give you what you want, but here's what you need to know. The men don't always get it right. Sometimes they make mistakes, and that means that there will be an imperfect person on the throne of this nation. But God chooses a man named Saul, and Saul becomes the first king of Israel. But then, in the beginning, he does a really good job. He obeys God. He puts God's kingdom and God's people first, but over time... He starts to care more about himself than he does about God's people. He starts to become disobedient toward God and toward the prophet Samuel, who was God's mouthpiece over a nation. And over time, what ends up happening is the scripture tells us that the spirit of the Lord leaves Saul. The favor of God, the hand of God leaves Saul because of his disobedience. And so then Samuel is talking with God and God reaches down and speaks to Samuel and he says, Samuel, it's time that we find a new king over this nation because my hand, my spirit, my blessing, my anointing have left Saul. So I want you to go to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse. And one of his sons is the man who is to be the next king over this nation. So that leads us to where we are and where I want to read to you from today. So look at 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? So fill your horn with oil, this is signifying the anointing, and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now skip down to verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? In other, the elders, in other words, the elders in the town basically said, Whoa, the prophet of God over our entire nation has come to our town. What's he doing here? What do you want from us, Samuel? Did you come in peace? And then goes on in verse 5, and it says, And Samuel said to them, Peaceably. 
I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, so sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, look at verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. This is the first son of Jesse that's presented to the prophet. He looked at Eliab and he said, Surely the the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8, So Jesse called Abinadab, the next son, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 9, Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Now look at verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. He's out in the field taking care of his father's sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him in, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes, And he was good looking. When it says he was ruddy, that means that he was of red and freckled complexion. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord, let me say this again. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now, if you've been in church a long time, kind of like me, then you've, you've been through this passage of Scripture many, many times. You know that this is the first introduction. It's the first glimpse we get into the life of David throughout the Bible. And one of the reasons why I really, really love this passage is because every time I read it, there's one thing that stands out to me and just hits me so hard. David was not a man at this point, even though God had said, I'm looking for a man to be king. In fact, David was just a boy. If you look at what Bible scholars say about this passage of Scripture, Bible scholars really believe that at this point, David was probably 10 to 15 years old. A lot of Bible scholars actually narrow this down and say that it's more likely that he was 10 to 12 years old. Either way, what we know is that David was not yet a man. He was actually a boy. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look back at my own life and think back to when I was 10 and 12 and 15 years old, I am like very, very sure that I was not ready to be the leader of a nation of people. Anybody else with me? Now, here's the thing. You might be here and you might not be able to uh, remember when you were 10 or 12 or 15 years old. But you can think about your kids who are 10 or 12 or 15 or your grandkids who are 10 or 15 or your great-grandkids who are 10 or 15 and immediately you know, yeah, they're definitely not ready. No way that they should be responsible for leading an entire nation. But yet that's the picture that we see here. David, this young shepherd boy, brought before the prophet of God and suddenly anointed to be the king. And one of the things that just strikes me is like, if I were to stop and try to put myself in David's shoes, I want you to consider for a moment the weight of what happened on that day. See, David being a shepherd boy was somebody that his father didn't even deem to be worthy of consideration before the prophet. His father walks in with his other seven sons and says, have a look at these guys. But my other son, David, mm, he's out in the field. He doesn't even deserve to be considered. So David's out in the field as Samuel rejects one after the other. No, this isn't him. This isn't him. This isn't him until he got through the seventh. And suddenly he realizes, where's the man that God promised? Well, the man that God promised wasn't yet a man. He was still a boy. 
And he's out in his father's fields. And you got to realize that when David, as a shepherd boy, woke up every day, he assumed that every day was going to be just like the last. He wakes up in the morning. He goes out to take care of his father's sheep. He wakes up, takes them out to pasture. He cleans up after the sheep. He watches out for them. He protects them from predators. He does everything that a shepherd would do to make sure that the sheep are safe. And when he gets to the end of the day, he corrals them. He brings them back in. He goes in, he lays his head down, and he goes to sleep, thinking he's going to wake up tomorrow and do it all over again. Except that what he doesn't know when he wakes up on this day is that by the end of the day, he will have been anointed to become the most powerful man in his nation. In the morning, a shepherd. At the end of the day, anointed as king to rule and reign one day in that nation. Can I just say, like, that's pretty heavy. One day you got a simple job. At the end of the day, the weight of the world is sitting on your shoulders. Now, if you're David, you got to think that, man... I'm anointed to be king. God has a special calling on my life. When am I going to step into this? How's it going to come about? When is this all going to take place? Well, David was not ready at 10 and 12 and 15 years old to step into the calling that God had for his life. But here's what's interesting. God still chose to anoint him at 10 or 12 or 15, which tells me that you can be anointed for the calling God has for your life, even if you are not yet appointed to that position. Now, I hope everybody's with me so far this morning because between today and next Sunday, I want to look at a few pictures in the life of David and I want to point some things out to you. Right now in the place that you're in, you are anointed by God or you could be anointed by God for something that he has for you. But it might be a few years down the road until you are appointed to that position. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that your anointing isn't valid. It means that God might allow you to walk through a series of events that will shape you into the person he is calling you to be. Now, if you look at David right here, it was lucky for David, or fortunate, really blessed. I mean, it was God's timing. But lucky for David and lucky for the people of Israel that David was not appointed king the next day. You know why? Because he wasn't ready. He was 10. He was 12. He was 15 years old. Yet God chose to reveal to him, you are anointed for something that I have in front of you. You're anointed even though you are not yet appointed. Between today and next week, we're going to look at some of the pictures in his life that will help us understand why he walked down the journey and walked down the path that he did because God wanted to shape some things inside of him for everything that he was calling him to. Before we look at some of those pictures, I want to take some time and I want to talk about something that really stuck out to me this week. I was planning on kind of moving into these pictures quicker, but I felt like over the last two days, like God kind of just got my attention about something. I want to take a few minutes and I want to talk to you about the anointing of the Lord. Let's talk about the anointing of the Lord. Now, why is it that David was chosen to be king at, you know, 10 or 15 years old? Why, why did God choose him? I mean, you're talking about not a man, but a boy that's 10 or 15 years old. Surely there was somebody out there who was more qualified. Surely there was multiple people out there that were more qualified. Surely there were multiple people out there that had more experience that would enable them to be a successful king. Surely there were more people out there who were far more educated than David was. David spent all of his days out in the field with sheep. Surely there were other people that God could have chosen, but instead God chose David. Why did, why did God choose David? What did God see in David? Well, I think there's a couple of clues that we grab in Scripture that explain this. See, in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14, Samuel says one day, he says that God is looking for a king. He is looking for a man after his own heart. And if you know much about the life and story of David, David is often referred to as the man after God's own heart. 
Can I tell you today that God is continually looking for people who are after his own heart? Because God can do great things with people who can set themselves aside because they are, they are more interested in pursuing the heart of God. What does it mean to be a person, a man or a woman who is after God's own heart? I think we find two really quick definitions in this, and I'll give this to you really fast if you want to write these down. What does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? Number one, a person after God's own heart is living a life and a lifestyle that is bringing glory to God. You know, we talk all the time about what's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of my life? Can I just give you a really general one? The purpose of your life, you were created to bring glory to God. Above all else, you were created to bring glory to God. But the second part of this, what does it mean to be a person after the heart of God? The second definition is I think a person after the heart of God considers others to be equal to, if not greater than themselves. They consider others to be equal to, if not greater than themselves. You say, Zach, where do you get that definition from? Well, when Jesus was asked in the New Testament, what's the greatest commandment? What was his answer? He said, first of all, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Live a life and a lifestyle that brings glory to God. But what's the second part of it? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look out for others. Consider others to be equal to, if not greater than, yourself. That was the greatest commandment. That was what Jesus said to his disciples. That was what he said to the Pharisees when they asked him about it. I believe that a person who is after the heart of God is continually looking out for God's best interests and the best interests of others. If you want to see God use you in the life that he's given you, look out for his best interests and set yours aside. Look out for the best interests of others and God will come down and use you in ways that you could never imagine in your own strength. Now, we said we we're going to talk a little bit more about the anointing, okay? Now, when you see the anointing in Scripture, whether it's in the Old Testament or all the way through to the book of James in the New Testament, anytime you see the anointing or the oil, it's always symbolic or representative of the Spirit of God coming upon somebody. We see it in the first king, Saul is anointed, the anointing oil, it's the Spirit of God coming upon him. When he becomes disobedient to God, Scripture tells us that the anointing of God or the Spirit of God leaves Saul. So in order for a new king to be appoint or anointed or appointed one day, what does Samuel have to do? He has to go and anoint the guy that God has chosen to be the next king. It's symbolic of the Spirit of God coming upon. Now, why is it that God chose David? Well, first of all, we just established that he had a heart that was after God. I want to say to everybody this morning, because I think this is so important that we all catch this. When it comes to the anointing of the Lord, I believe that God is continually looking for vessels that he can pour his anointing out into so that we can accomplish things for his kingdom's sake on this earth. I believe God is continually looking, continually searching, and he's looking back and forth over and over all over the place, and he's saying, who can I pour my anointing onto? Who can I pour my oil onto so that they can go and accomplish and establish my kingdom on this earth? Where are they? Where's that person? So we talked about David having a heart after God. What's so interesting about that is that we see throughout Scripture that David really did have a heart after God, and we know it from his own writings. Look at Psalm 19 and verse 14. David wrote these words. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. David wrote those words because he understood that it wasn't just about the things that he said to people that made them think one thing about him. He knew that God saw his heart. When you look back at what we read earlier in this passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the 
heart. You know, growing up in church, let me just kind of preach to you for a minute, okay? Growing up in church, like I've heard that verse used so many times. Well, the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. I've heard it referenced and used so many different times. But one of the ways I've heard it used a lot is people will say something like this. Well, I know that I don't have it all together on the outside. And I know that I'm imperfect. And I know that sometimes I make mistakes. And I know that you might look at me and see a very imperfect person who screws up half the time. But here's the thing. You can go ahead and judge me if you want. But God knows my heart. God knows my heart. God knows what's really going on on the inside. And sometimes you hear people say that, and here's the deal. You can say that if you have a pure heart before the Lord. But as I was reading this passage of Scripture the last few days, something occurred to me. It should put the fear of God in us to know that God knows what's going on inside my heart. <laughs> I love it that Samuel says these words. You know, Lord speaking to Samuel in the way it's written. He says, the Lord doesn't see people the way people see people. I look past their words, I look past the facade, I look past the appearance, and I know exactly what's going on in their heart. I mean, think about that for a moment. I can use words that will paint a picture to make you think one thing about me, and I can deceive you in one direction, because you don't know what's really going on inside here. I can put on an appearance, I can put on a facade that makes you think one thing about me. I got you fooled because you don't really know what's going on in here. But here's the thing about God. You can't fool God. Like God knows what's going on. You can give God words, but he knows what's going on in your heart. Like, have you ever prayed a prayer that was like trying to flatter God so that he would give you what you want? Like, have you ever prayed a prayer that sounded something like this, God, I really didn't mean to do that. And I just really, you know, I just ask for your forgiveness because, you know, Lord, I just, man, I just have a heart for you, Lord. And God's like, <laughs> God's like, look, you did what you did because your desires are your desires. And I want to change those desires. I want to come in and I want to get involved and I want to change the condition of your heart. But don't leave me on with words because I know what's really going on on the inside. See, we can fool people, but you can't fool God. And we think about the idea that God looks at the heart, that should honestly put a serious reverence in our heart for the way that the things that we're meditating on because God knows what's going on in here. It reminds me, when I was in high school, I said this in first service, back in the 90s. Um, it sounds funny because it sounds like the 90s were like a long time ago. They really weren't, but they kind of were. But anyway, like there was a hip-hop song back in the 90s that was super popular that I listened to a million times and it said, only God can judge me. And people would say it over and over all the time. People got it tattooed on their own body. Only God can judge me. And it's true. Like, go ahead and judge away if you want. But look, you can try to judge me. But listen, here's the deal. I answer to God. It should put the fear of God in us to know that we answer to God. Like, I would rather be subject to man's judgment than God's. Because here's the thing. God's is eternal. Ooh. So when we say, hey, God looks at the heart. Guess what? God looks at the heart. He knows what's going on. You can't fool God with words. He looks past the facade. He looks past the appearance. He knows what's really going on. God gets right to the heart of the matter. He knows. So when he looked down and he saw David, he knew this is a man after my own heart. And I believe that when God looked down and he said, there's a vessel that I can pour my anointing onto. Why? Because he lives a life that brings me glory and he is equally concerned with other people as he is himself. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But I believe, again, let me say it one more time. I believe, again, that God is always looking for people who are clean vessels that he can pour his anointing onto so that they can accomplish his kingdom purposes in this life. And I believe that he's looking at you and he's looking at me. Now, let me illustrate this a little bit further. Is everybody cool if we just have some fun in church for a minute? Yeah. All right. So I got something. This is an illustration I just want to use to kind of bring this home. It's not an original illustration, but... I got something this morning. Anybody? Students? 
I knew, I, dude, I thought of, no, 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 hold on. No, 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 sit down, Andrew, sit down. When I was thinking about this, you were the one I thought of, Andrew. I knew that it would be you that would jump up and be like, I got to go up there and grab those. Anybody like these? Is there anybody here, like right now, you're just hungry? Like you didn't eat breakfast? There's some of you, like, as soon as I pulled this out, like, the voice of Homer Simpson, like, went through your head. Mmm, donuts. See, here's the thing. As soon as I pulled this box out, like, it was funny to see, especially the students, like, some of the eyes of the students just light up, like, whoa. Some of you are like, my mouth is watering. My stomach is growling. Some people are like, that's my weakness. I can't say no to those, you know. But here's the thing. As soon as I, like, took this box out right now and I held it up, I was, like, looking out very intentionally just to kind of see what people would think when they saw the Dunkin' Donuts logo right there and they knew what it was that I was holding in my hand. And what's really funny about it is when your mouth began to water when you saw this, it's because you were excited about what might be inside. But I got bad news for you. Andrew, I love you, dude, but... So here's the thing, there's nothing inside of this box, but when I took this box out of that box, and by the way, I hid this box in that box because I didn't want students charging the platform while I was trying to preach to you, (laughs) Andrew. (laughs) But when I took this box out of that box, for some of you and your eyes lit up and your mouth began to water, it's not because you started thinking about how good this orange and white box might taste. Your stomach didn't begin to growl because you thought about how, fil- how fulfilling it would be to devour this orange and white box. In fact, if you think about it, it, that doesn't sound good at all. See, when you saw this box, if your mouth began to water and your stomach began to growl, it wasn't because you were interested in the box. You were interested in what's inside of the box, right? Now, to take this a little bit further, let me just say it this way. See, this box in and of itself really is of no value, okay? This box does become valuable, though, when there are donuts inside of the box because it's something that you want. See, it's not the box that adds value to the donuts. It's the donuts that add value to the box. Because in and of itself, none of you are interested in taking a bite out of this, right? Now, let me take this a step further, okay? You should have seen the look on the dude's face when I went to Dunkin' Donuts this morning and told him, I walked in the front door, I walk up to the counter, he's like, how you doing, sir? How can I help you? I'd like a box. (laughs) And he says, oh, you'd like a, a box of donuts? Would you like one dozen or two dozen? I said, no, I'd just like a box. And he says, well, sir, we don't sell boxes, we sell donuts. I said, yes, but do your donuts come in boxes? And he said, yes, they do. And I said, then I'll take a box. (laughs) Now, to really perfectly illustrate this to you, here's the funny part about it. I said, here's the thing, man. I'm a pastor. I'm going to be using this as a sermon illustration today. I'm willing to buy it for you. In fact, if you want to come check it out, we have services 930 and 1130 at the Bridge Church. (laughs) And if you're here right now, man, I wish I could tell you that the donuts were good, but I only bought a box. (laughs) Anyway. But the guy looks at me and he's like, you just want to buy a box? And I said, yeah. And he says, 
I don't even know how much to charge you. Like, I don't have a button on the cash register that says box. <laughs> so you know what he did? He gave it to me for free. You know why? Because there ain't much value in the box. See, the box doesn't add value to the donuts. It's the donuts that add value to the box. Now, in order for this box to be usable, there's really only one thing that it needs to be. It needs to be clean. See, if I put that box back in this box, none of you have ever seen that, and I ask the question, how many of you would like a donut this morning? Andrew would raise his hand. Anybody else? Anybody else say, hey, a donut sounds good. Well, what if I reached down into this wooden box and what I pulled out with my sweaty bare hands were five donuts that I held in these sweaty bare hands, and I said, here, come and partake of a donut. The moment that you got closer and noticed that my hands are a little bit sweaty because it's hot up here, and maybe not all that clean, you would have said, hmm, I'm not so much interested in the donuts anymore. But if I had said, Do you like, would you like a donut this morning? And I reached down and I pulled out a clean box from Dunkin' Donuts and I showed you the freshly baked dozen donuts, you would reach in, you would grab, you would partake, and you would be satisfied. Why? Because inside the box, if the box is clean, they are uncontaminated by their surroundings. I want to say something to everybody this morning. When we talk about the anointing of God, sometimes we over-spiritualize this idea of the anointing of God because we say, well, only special people get the anointing of God. Only special people get the blessing of God. Only special people get the spirit of God. Can I tell you something? If you are a vessel that is willing to be clean and live a life that is bringing God glory and considers others, God is looking for you to pour his anointing, to pour his oil, and to pour his blessing out into your life so that you can do great things for his kingdom. Now, with that said, let's talk a little bit further about the anointing because the eyes of the Lord are continually looking for people that he can bless and pour his anointing oil into. Look at this, 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Who does he want to show himself strong on behalf of? Those whose heart is loyal to him. People who have a heart after God's own heart. People who live lives that are bringing glory to God and consider others to be equal to, if not greater than, themselves. I love thinking about the idea that God could use me, but sometimes when I think about what that means, I, make, I, I might have to make some difficult choices in my life if I want to be used by God. Because if that container is going to contain the donuts that I want to get to you, it needs to be clean. And if you're in Christ, there's forgiveness. If you're in Christ, there's salvation. And when God looks at you, if you're in Christ, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see you for your past mistakes. It doesn't mean you're always going to get it right, but it means there's a Savior who's there to wash you clean because sin is no longer worthy of being attached to you. And I love the grace message that we've preached in church over the last few decades because it's brought freedom into a lot of people's lives. But can I just tell you something this morning? It is time for the people of God to return to the message of holiness because God has not called you to live a life of sin. God has given you grace so that you can walk in truth. And if we can choose to walk in truth, we will become open vessels. He will pour his oil into our life and he will do things through us that we could never do in ourselves and on our own. And David was that guy. Couldn't even yet call him a guy. You could just call him a boy. A man after God's own heart. Now, I told you that we were going to talk a little bit about some of the pictures in David's life. I want to just talk about one scene that immediately follows this. God has anointed David to one day be the next king. He is now anointed 
but not yet appointed. God wants to anoint you for the purposes that he has for your life, and it might take a while for you to get there. You might find yourself walking through scenes and seasons in your life where you're like, God, what in the world am I doing here? But just know that God has great things ahead of you because he's anointed you and called you for his purposes. Now, I want to just quickly show you one scene here before we close today, okay? The first scene that we see immediately after David's anointing to one day be king, we see that David is essentially sent back to go to his father's field. He's sent back to go be a shepherd. And the reason we know it is because the next time we see David, he comes from his father's field to go and fight a giant. Now, I'm blown away that when David was anointed to be king, they didn't throw a parade. They didn't fit him for a robe and a crown. They didn't hand him a scepter. They didn't see, well, you know, how big does his throne need to be? Let's find the royal subjects who will come and serve him. David, go and establish your court. No, there was still somebody who was ruling as king for a few more years. But I'm blown away that the very next thing he does is he doesn't move into the palace. He goes back into his father's field. Interesting. Why? Why would God tell him he's anointed to be something great, but then send him back to do something so small? Or what would seem to be so small? See, you might be here today, and the thing that God has put in your heart, the dream, the vision that he's put inside of you, the thing he's anointed you and called you to do, it might be massive. But the place you are today seems really small and really insignificant. I want to stay here too long, but let me just tell you something. Do not despise the day of small beginnings because God is using the season that you're in to get you to the place he wants you to go. Now, David goes back to the field and you have someone with the anointing of a king taking care of sheep. Why did God send this anointed king back to the field to take care of his father's sheep? I want to focus on a couple of things real quick before we finish today. I think one of the greatest reasons why God sent David back to his father's field is because he wanted to remind David that being a king won't be a cakewalk. It's always going to be hard work. Let me just say this to everybody else here today. The anointing that's on your life might not be to lead a nation one day, but the anointing that's on your life is a big thing, and it will always demand that you give it proper attention and be diligent to do the hard work. See, if being a king just meant that you sat on a throne, held a scepter, wore a crown and a robe and told people what to do, anybody could do that job. But God was looking for someone who understood the weight and the responsibilities that they were being appointed to. And when he looked down, he found it in a 10 to 15 year old boy. But after he's anointed, he goes back out to his field and he says, continue on with the work that's been put in front of you because I want to establish that it's always going to be hard work accomplishing my purposes in your life. Look at this. This is what Proverbs says in three different places. And there's a bunch of other ones that we don't have time to get into. This is what it says in Proverbs 10, verse 4. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. In other words, if you have your hand down working, your nose to the grindstone, that's where you find success. Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of a lazy man desires but has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. I think the first reason why David was sent back out to his father's field is because God wanted to make sure that he understood the value of hard work. David, it's not just going to be sitting on a throne enjoying the luxuries of being the king. No, you're going to have to be the one who puts in the hard yards because you've got a lot of responsibility in the thing I'm calling you to. The thing that God is calling each one of us to today, it comes with a lot of responsibilities and we have to be willing to put in the hard work and do the hard yards. It's not always going to be fun, but it's going to be worth it because we're going to accomplish things in our life that we could never do on our own. Now, 
The other part of this that I just want to talk about really quickly was I, when I see this picture of David heading back to his father's field to take care of his father's sheep, the thing that I keep thinking of is it's almost like God looking down and saying, okay, you want to lead my people? First, let's see you lead some sheep. It doesn't sound like being a shepherd is the first job or internship you would get if you're going to one day be the king. How does shepherd and king go hand in hand? I don't get it. Like when I see this, it makes me think of the movie Dodgeball when the old man's throwing the wrenches. And they're like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. It's like, David, I've been anointed to be king. God, what are you doing sending me back out into the field? If you can lead some sheep, you can lead my people. It doesn't sound like a prerequisite for being king, but here's the thing. A shepherd leads a flock. And you know what God was looking for in the next king? Someone who would lead his people. There was a training ground that David found in leading his father's sheep. And when he stepped into being a king, he understood it wasn't his people. It was God's people. God was looking for someone who could, enhance, who could embrace the responsibility and say, I'll step up to the plate, lay myself aside, live a life that brings glory to you, and take care of your people. I'll accept the responsibilities. I'm pretty much out of time this morning, so I'll kind of close this off pretty quickly here. But you know, one of the things that I, I thought about as I was looking at this passage of Scripture is I think every single one of us at some point in our life have found ourselves in a place where we felt like, I want more than this. Like maybe right now today you're in a job that you're like, man, God, I got way bigger dreams than this, but I got this job and I don't want this job. I want that job. I want to have more success than what I currently do. I want to be doing better than I currently am. God, why is it that I find myself going through this season right now? I, I don't understand it. Or maybe right now you got big goals and big dreams and big aspirations. Like we have, probably have some young adults in here right now that you are in the middle of your studies or the beginning of early careerhood. And some of the things that you're walking through, man, you feel like this is such small beginnings. I got way bigger things in my heart. Can I just tell you that you might be going through a difficult season right now, but God is using that to shape you, to get you to the place he wants you to go? Yeah. I remember when, after Ashley and I first got married, we had, you know, we'd been married for seven years, and pretty much during that time, we'd been in pastoral ministry the whole time. The first two, we spent in volunteer roles pastorally in our church, and five years ago, I came on staff here at the bridge and I'll never forget I had this one day where I was just like so beat down. I just felt like there was a lot going on emotionally, spiritually, just in the work. And I remember getting to the end of the day and I'd had like three really heavy appointments with different people and I was so drained that it like literally just got to me. And I sat down with my dad, you know, Pastor Gary, and we sat down in there and I was like, man, I just feel so drained. And it's almost like brought me to tears. And he looks at me and he says, welcome to pastoral ministry. What's funny about it is, you know, we live in this day and age in this society where we kind of glorify certain positions. You know, we see like celebrity pastor culture and we see people that are like a big deal because they stand in front of big groups of people. But I'll never forget as long as I live, this was one of the best lessons I learned when I first, you know, came full time here at the church. My dad looked at me one day and he said, here's the thing, Zach, when you're called to be a pastor, we have to remember that the literal definition of pastor is shepherd. And if you're going to be a shepherd, sometimes you're going to smell like sheep. And see, the thing about David's, David's out there in his father's fields taking care of his father's sheep. And I wonder if there were days where he thought, man, I can't wait till I can be king, so I ain't got to do this no more. But what if God was simply tapping him on the shoulder and reminding him, you know why I got you taking care of these sheep? Because there's going to be some day when you're looking after, out after my people, and you're going to find that at the end of the day, you smell a little bit like sheep. 
Because I'm not looking for a king who's going to sit on his high horse. I'm, not, going to look, I'm lo- not looking for a king who's going to sit in his ivory tower. I'm looking for a king who will put himself down and lift me and other people up. And that's somebody I can use. That's somebody I can take to great places. That's somebody that I can do something really amazing with. And is it possible that in the place you're at right now, you feel like it's a really small thing compared to the big calling that's on your life? If you feel that way, can I tell you, it might not be that God's got you in the wrong place. It might be that God has got you exactly where he wants you because he's going to do something in this season that is going to set you up for success in the one that is to come. But are you going to be willing to submit to the process? Last thing I got for you this morning. I messed up my notes so bad today. This is the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to this. For we are God's workmanship. Other translations say, I believe the message says, we are God's handiwork. We are God's workmanship. He's crafted us. He's molded us. He's shaped us for what he has for our lives. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk. Everybody say walk. That we should walk in them. I love this verse because I've, I've heard this verse throughout the course of my life. I was looking at it this week, and in the original Greek, that word walk is this word peripateo. It's where we get our English word participate. God has prepared good works for you and I, but it's up to us to choose to participate in the thing that God has destined us for. And sometimes it's going to be work. Sometimes it's going to be starting in a season that feels insignificant so that God can take us into a big season of significance. But we'll be, if, we're, if we're willing to set ourselves aside, our own agenda, and consider others, God will look down and say, now that's a worthy vessel. I can pour my anointing oil upon that person, and they will go and do things that they never could have done in their own strength. And can I just tell you something this morning? I don't want anything less than the very best that God has for my life. And nobody here in this place today should settle for anything less than the best that God has for you. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro, continually looking to show his strength, show his strength on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. Where's your heart at this morning? What's your life and your lifestyle look like? How do you see others? If we can get those things right, my friend, you are the perfect candidate to be a vessel that God can pour his anointing onto. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that in my life, amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want to do two things real quick, just two quick prayers. You might be here this morning and the season that you're in might feel really insignificant to you. But I believe that one of the things that God wanted me to say to you today is that God is using the season you're in to set you up well for the one you're about to walk into. You might not yet be appointed for the thing that's in your heart, but let me tell you, you are anointed for the thing that God has called you to. If you are in Christ, if you're living a life that's bringing glory to him and you are considerate of others. And I want to pray today that God will lift you up, that he'll encourage you, and how you, that he'll walk you into that season of appointment. But maybe you're here today and you feel as though the blessing of God, the hand of God, the favor of God is so far from your life. And as you've listened to this today, you say, man, I would do anything to have the anointing of God, the favor of God, the spirit of God come and rest upon my life. Because that's the place where God can do incredible things in our lives. If you're either one of those two places today, I want to pray for you. But especially if you're here this morning and you say, 
Zach, I want the anointing of God in my life. I don't want to do this in my own strength. I don't want to do it in vain. I don't want to do it in my own power. I want the anointing of God in my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right now? Because I'm going to pray this morning, and I'm going to believe that God is going to pour his spirit out. If we are willing to check ourselves and participate in the process, I believe that God wants to pour his spirit out on empty, clean vessels today. Father, I thank you so much for the people who are willing to lift a hand and say, God, I want more of you in my life. God, I pray that you would bless people in this place with your favor, that your face would shine upon them, that your hand of strength would encourage them and move them forward, God, in Jesus' name. I pray that as your favor rests upon them, God, that their lives would simply be a testimony of your goodness and your greatness, not of their own strength, not of their own power, but of your might and of your power, your plan that you have for their lives, and that the world around them would see that it's not about them, but it's about you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that every person with their hands lifted right now and even the rest of us across this place, that we would be willing to take a deep look into our own heart and ask the question, are we living lives and lifestyles that are pleasing to you and bringing you glory? How do we see other people? God, I pray that you would change our heart. If there are things that need to be changed and adjusted, we give you permission, we give you access, and we give you permission to come in and bring conviction into those areas of our life so that we can step into the best that you have for us. We honor you today and we thank you that you have better things than what we are currently seeing. We are anointed for a time of appointment. We thank you for that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. You can put your hand down. And just right, right now, one more time with eyes closed and heads bowed across this place. If you're here this morning and you've never walked in to a relationship with God, I want to tell you that the greatest things that you've ever seen in your life come after you make a decision to follow Jesus. He brings about forgiveness into our life and salvation. Scripture tells us that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's perfection. There's none of us that have gotten it right all the time. But God loved us so much that when we were lost in the middle of our sin, he sent his very best, his perfect spotless son in exchange for our very worst. When Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago, died a death that you and I deserve, but he took that punishment upon his back so that you and I could be forgiven. And after he died, three days later, God raised him from the dead, conquering death and hell and the grave so that you and I would not have to face it and that we could spend eternity with him forever. If you're here this morning and you want the anointing of God on your life, I want to tell you that it starts with salvation. It starts with asking God to come in. Forgive me of my sins. God, my sins have separated me from you. I want salvation. I want forgiveness. I want you to wipe me clean. When you look at me, I want you to see Jesus. If that's you today and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, we're not going to put you on the spot. We're not going to embarrass you. In fact, we're actually going to pray a prayer out loud all together and give you an opportunity to follow Jesus. We're going to do it right now. So I want to ask if you would just wrap your heart around these words. Say it right out loud. If you need to recommit your life to Christ today, take advantage of this opportunity. Everybody right out loud, say these words. Say, Dear Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were raised from the dead so that I could be forgiven and so that I could go free. Today, I want your salvation. I want your plan. I want your purposes. And I want your promise for eternity in my life. So I choose you today. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, right now, if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, let me just tell you, we have less than four minutes left in the service, okay? So I want to ask everybody, please hang tight. We're almost done, okay? It's so important, this moment in our service. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, 
We want to help you start your journey of faith and walk with God. We want to give you a free gift, a simple tool. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's a simple book and devotional that get you started in this walk with God. There's two ways that you can get it. Right after service, we'll have prayer teams right down here in front of the platform. Come up to them, let them know, hey, I made a decision to follow Jesus today. If you have a need in your life, you got something going on, you want someone to stand with you, agree with you, pray with you, they are here to pray with you. They'd love to do that. But if you made a decision to follow Jesus, come and let them know, I made a decision to follow Jesus and I want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you but we're happy to give you whatever we can if we can help. If you need to go quickly today, make sure that you stop by the next seven days desk out in the foyer between the glass doors. Let them know today I made a decision to follow Christ. I want to get the book. They'll give it to you. They'll help you out. We don't need anything from you again, but we're here to help and give you anything that we can because we simply want to help you start your walk with God. We don't believe that you should do this alone. We believe that God created us to be a family and be in relationship with each other. And we want you to know that we are so, so grateful that you're a part of the family and you made that decision today. So can we put our hands together this morning and just welcome some people into God's family.